you guys. Well, it's great to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm excited to get to share a little bit from the Word. I've been a part of Calvary Slow. I started coming, uh, got involved with Calvary in 2002 when I was a student and an athlete at Cal Poly and uh, have been a part of, of this body uh, off and on um, for, for a long time now. And I'm so thankful uh, for this church and I uh, really feel like this is a, a, a family and the body of Christ here at Calvary Slow has been a huge blessing in my life. I'm sure that it is um, to you as well. And recently we've been doing this series uh, going through the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit and God the Holy Spirit and who is the Holy Spirit. And I hope uh, you've been encouraged and challenged by that. I know I have. Uh, it's been really, um, learned a number of things that have just kind of challenged my perspective of the Holy Spirit and been reminded of who the Holy Spirit is. And so to get to continue to um, this, to continue to uh, be a part or continue the series and to get to be able to participate in it and share with it is just a, a blessing. It's an honor. And so I'm excited. Um, this morning, we're going to be, if you open up to John uh, in a minute, if you, John chapter 16, the theme of, of this part of the series is the Holy Spirit in truth. And so where we're going is we're going to be talking about um, the role that the Holy Spirit plays in relation to um, God reveal, God's revealed truth through the Scripture and how the Holy Spirit leads and guides us in our understanding of truth and how we apply the truth of Scripture in our life. Does that make sense? And so we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and truth. And um, before we get into that, I just want to ask you guys a question, just kind of start with a question. How many of you have ever received a, a really good gift before? Just by show of hands, how many of you received a really awesome, just amazing gift? I think about times when, I, when you're young, uh, when, you're, when you're a kid and you're anticipating Christmas, right? Or you're anticipating uh, your birthday. And there's this thing that you want. Can you just imagine those times? It's like you, you're over, like, just almost overwhelmed with like, anticipation for this gift that you just can't wait that you're going to get. And if you don't get it, it's like... I mean, the world pretty much ended at that point, you know, but you're so excited to get this gift. And as you think about your life and different seasons of your life and different gifts that you've been given, uh, I don't know, maybe it was, uh, you got a new iPhone for, you know, as a gift or if that's the best gift you got. And I don't know if that, anyways, but whatever it might have, have been, some type of gift over the course of your life, um, we love receiving gifts. Some people even have the, uh, the love language of, of gifts, right, or gift giving. And I know when I was young, I was about 10 or 11 years old, I was, <clears throat> I have an older sister and two younger brothers, and awesome parents and stuff, and when I was growing up, I lived on a cul-de-sac that was a flat street, and all of the, a lot of the neighbors, we had a lot of kids on the cul-de-sac, and a bunch of them would play roller hockey. And I didn't have the gear or the equipment to play roller hockey. One of my neighbors, like, across the street, he had, like, all of the goalie pads. He was, like, decked out, you know, he looked like a Lego or something, like, walking around, but he had all of these, this equipment and this gear. And I didn't have any of it. And I remember one Christmas was coming up, and I was just like, man, if I could only get these rollerblades. I think they were called lightnings, these lightning rollerblades. Uh, and I was just, you know, had all this decision, but I was like, man, but I know. I've seen them in the store. Those rollerblades like $100. And when you're like 10 or 11 years old, like $100 is like, it's like a million. It's a lot of money, right? And so I was like, ah, there's no way, you know, I'm going to get these rollerblades. And then I remember that Christmas seeing this box, and I was like, that could be it, you know? And, and I eventually unwrapped it, opened it up, and I got, and I had got the, the rollerblades. They were there. And I was just like, I don't think I opened any other presents. I just like put them on and went outside. And, and I was so excited and so happy to get this gift, to get these rollerblades. Um, but one of the reasons is because it allowed me to participate with all of my friends on the coldest jack and to play roller hockey and, and get out there and have fun, you know, and do all that. And I was so thankful for that gift. 
And, and all of us, we love getting gifts. I'm not sure what your, your gift is that you've received, your favorite gift you've been given. But as we do this series, I think we need to be reminded and encouraged to remember that, that God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is a gift from God for our good, for our benefit. Does that make sense? Not just the gifts of the Spirit. We've, we've had uh, teachings on that, and that's been really good. But that the Holy Spirit himself is a gift that we've been given. And the question is, do we cherish that gift? Are we applying that, that gift in our life? Is the person of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing the course of our life? Are we taking advantage of what is available to us through this gift of the Holy Spirit? Does that, does that, does that make sense? And so that's what we kind of want to challenge us today is to think about and to be um, excited about who um, the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our life of faith if we allow him um, uh, to guide and direct our life. So to that passage, um, we're in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15 is where we're going to start. And after I read this, then I'll, I'll pray. Um, so if you want to turn there. But this, this passage is just in context. Um, I'll say a little bit more about it in a second. But this is Jesus... He's spending time with his disciples, and he had a three-year public ministry, as we know, and he's getting to the very end of his life. It's coming up on the Passion Week. This teaching, chapters 12 through, uh, I think, 16, 17 of John, are these teachings that Jesus gave to his disciples at the Passover. And there's a lot of things that he taught here in terms of the context, Um, so many incredible truths that he taught. Jesus teaches, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He talks about how the world will, will hate them and the hardship or persecution that they'll face. Uh, in this passage, Jesus talks about how he is the vine and we are the branches. And if we abide in him, our life will bear much fruit. So there's a lot of really rich um, things that Jesus taught here at the end of his life. And, you know, if somebody comes to the end of their life, uh, just this early this month, my grandfather uh, passed away. He was 95 years old. His name was Carl Burquist. He lived up in Washington. It was my mom's dad. And I got to go visit him. I knew that he was getting close to the end of his life. And him and my grandma celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary the month before, last month. And so I got to go up there. Katie, my wife, and I went and visited them. I got to spend time with him. And he got to share things with me. And I asked him stories about his life when he was, when he was coherent, when he was there. And I, I'll never forget those, those final words that he said to me, the last things that I got to hear from him. You know what I mean? I remember one point he was telling me about, about you know, he's like, Grandpa, how do you say he's married for 70 years, you know? And he was saying, he's like, well, there's three things. One, uh, you need to find the right person, you know, something. Two, you need to be quick to forgive. And three, I can't remember the third one right now, you know, or something. And uh, it was just a sweet time. But he, those are some of his last words. Here you have Jesus at the end of his life giving his last words to his disciples, these men who have followed him and walked these trails, and seen miracles, and been chased by, you know, Pharisees, and all this stuff that they dealt with. And he knows, he's about to be betrayed by Judas, who's in his midst, he's about to go, you know, and suffer at the cross, and he's speaking to his disciples. And, you know, um, he's, he's trying to instill things into them, and teach them things. And so we'll talk about that more in a second. Let me read this passage, and then we'll, we'll get into it. John 16 Verse 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all all the truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let me pray as we start this morning. God, thank you for this morning, uh, just for this time, to open up your word and to talk about um, God, the Holy Spirit, who has come to guide us, to lead us, to live inside of us and direct us in our life. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. Uh, We just give you praise because you're worthy of glory and honor and and praise. And God, I just pray that you would, through your spirit, um, give me the words to speak with accuracy and, and just be present here with us, God. And reveal your word to us, Lord, so that we can understand it and that we can apply it to our lives. Uh, We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for all that we have uh, in you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's this passage as we kind of dive into it. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage and then um, uh, three or four other passages from John in chapters 14 and 15, specifically related to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Truth. Uh, And then after that, we're going to talk about um, the idea of truth and knowledge in our world today. Truth is kind of a controversial subject. We somewhat live in a postmodern world or culture that kind of says truth is relative. Whatever is true for you is true for me, but maybe not not true for you, but not for me. And so we're going to look at this idea of truth and the truth related to this passage. I'm going to share a a testimony from my life and how um, God worked some things in my life to help me see the value of, of, of God's Word and, and how the Holy Spirit teaches us or enlightens us to God's Word, and, uh, and then some thoughts about applying this to our life. So here we are again in this passage, um, and it says, I'm going to read it one more time. It says, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, and He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is saying here in this passage, he says, I've got a lot of things to say to you, but you can't bear it now. Um, as we understand in, in the history of, of the early church and what was happening here, these disciples, they were following Jesus. They believed that he was the Messiah prophesied about in the Old Testament, right? And they believed the, the, the Mashiach, the Messiah, that he had been foretold, and so they were following him with the understanding or the assumption that Jesus was going to be kind of a conquering king, that he was going to overthrow Rome, that he was going to reestablish the Jewish nation. Yeah? Amen? And so as as they're following him, and they're thinking that, you know, okay, this is who Jesus is, by following him and being on his team and, and whatnot, as he got to his position of influence, authority, power, then they too would be brought into a position of influence and power. And so they forsook some of their life and various things with this kind of mindset or understanding. And we see many places in Scripture where Jesus has to correct them, that they didn't understand that the Messiah must first suffer, right, and then later come again in power and and glory. They didn't understand that he was going to have to die. They didn't understand that he was going to rise from the dead. And so he's teaching them things, but there's things that they just didn't understand. They weren't, no matter how he said it or how many different ways he said it, they weren't going to fully get it or, or comprehend it until after some of these events unfolded and the Spirit came to them and, and made sense of these things to them. And so he says here, he says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Um, so let's go to John 14, 15 through 17. If you have your Bible, follow along. We have them on the screen as well. 
John 14, 15 through 17. A few more passages about um, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of truth. He says, If you love me, this is Jesus, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. But it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is a really profound passage. He's talking about the Holy Spirit as being a helper. Uh, The word in the original language is paraclete, the idea of a paraclete, which basically means an advocate or a helper, right? Someone who works on your behalf for your good. And it says, right here, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this is kind of going to speak to the application too in a little bit, that as we hear what the Holy Spirit teaches, it's not just about hearing it, but applying it in our life. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. For the world cannot receive, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. We see another passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about, like in uh, John 3, he talks about, um, unless a person is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. Or if you're not born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Um, Paul talks about how the things of God are spiritually known. That, that the natural mind cannot perceive or understand the things of God. And so there's something about the Holy Spirit, how he, um, when we've been put our trace, tr- uh, sorry, when we put our trust in Christ and his righteousness covers us and we're born again, we receive new life and the Holy Spirit comes, he, he will indwell us, he will be in us and he will reveal and make sense of truth to us. So we receive a helper that the world doesn't understand. In uh, John 14, 25 to 26, it says this. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So it says here, The Holy Spirit will teach you all things, speaking to his disciples, and he will bring to your remembrance the things that I have spoken to you. Many things that Jesus said that they would have forgotten. I'm not always the best at remembering everything. Anybody else? Uh, relate to that. You forget things or, or you, you know, misplace things or whatever. And it's nice to have someone remind you or to bring to your remembrance these things. It says the Holy Spirit will bring these things to your remembrance. And some of this is speaking to, is that a helicopter? I think it's a helicopter. That's cool. All right. Um, that he will bring some of these things to your remembrance. And that's significant when it, when it speaks to um, inspiring them as they write God's word. In John 15, 26, It says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here it says that the Holy Spirit will come and he will bear witness to Christ. And that the disciples, whom were with Jesus from the beginning, it says, you also will bear witness of me because you were with me from the beginning. You see, the, Holy, the fact that the, whole, that the disciples were with Jesus from the beginning, that they were eyewitnesses of his life, that they saw the events that unfolded, and that they were reliable to give an account of what Jesus said and what he did is really significant. And not only of his life, but after Jesus died and then rose from the dead, these disciples were witnesses of the resurrection, and Christ came and appeared to them. <clears throat> And that's really significant because that speaks to their authority as they're inspired by the Spirit to write down God's Word. It speaks to their authority to speak accurately and give us an accurate record of who Jesus is, of who God is. 
that we can trust and that is reliable. And that's really, we'll talk about that more in a second, which is significant. So, last one, John 16, 7 and 8. John 16, 7 through 8, if you're there. It says this, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then in this passage, it goes on to give examples or definitions of of what those things are, what that means. So he says, nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Um, When I was in high school, uh, part of that time near the end of high school, I started going to a college ministry in Simi Valley called Axis. If some of you are familiar with Francis Chan, his former church is the Cornerstone Church down in Simi Valley. And he had a college pastor. Uh, there was a college pastor at the time named Chuck Bomar. And Chuck Bomar was the, the college pastor there at that church. And I would go and attend, and he was, he was really gifted. It was a great community and, and, and a neat group. Well, Chuck recently wrote a book, um, this book. It's called Better Off Without Jesus. It's kind of an interesting title. It's kind of a provocative title. What's that mean? We're better off without Jesus? Like, what? You know, you're a pastor? You're still working as a pastor? How do you write that book? Um, but the, the point of it is this. The point of this book is based in this passage. It is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus says. And it's this idea that Jesus says, it's actually better that I, after accomplishing what God had set before me, what the Father had set before me to accomplish, ascending to heaven, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, and he gives the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ. And he says, it's better that I go away so that the Holy Spirit, the helper, will come and be with you and be in you and lead you and guide you. Does that make sense? Yeah? And so it's kind of like, I mean, it was obviously, the disciples, it was really nice that they had Jesus there with them, walking and answering questions, because they had a lot of them, because they were a little dense sometimes. Okay, that's fair to say. Okay? And so they would, they would have a lot of questions, and Jesus was there with them. But then Jesus ascended. He's no longer here. And he says that it's better that I go, because I will send to you the helper who will be in you, who will lead you, who will guide you. And it's amazing. I don't know, you know, when we think about this idea that the Holy Spirit will be in us, it's kind of like, well, where? You know? Like, is he in your, in your heart, in your mind, in your, like, stomach? I mean, well, where, right? And that's something in, in the dimensions of, of how God works and operates through his Spirit that we don't fully understand. But we do, ex- we do experience the reality of it. Talks about the, the Bible talks about the seal of the Holy Spirit. Maybe throughout the course of your life, you've experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit due to sin in your life. Or you've experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the counsel of the Holy Spirit. And so here it's saying, it's better that I go, because if I go, I will send to you the helper who will be with you. So God, in his infinite wisdom, and however this fully works, which I, I don't fully understand, the Holy Spirit, it says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He can come and take up residence inside of us. And not just us, but all Christians throughout history and all around the world. And God is at work through his spirit. Amen? Does that make sense? And that's, that's, that's really profound, that God is able to work in this way. Um, as we've been doing this series, we've covered a lot of different topics. It's kind of interesting, you come in uh, teaching about the Holy Spirit at kind of the end of a, a series. It's like, man, all the, it's already all been taught, you know, all the good stuff. Um, but here we see, like, in the last couple of weeks, Pastor Brian has been teaching about the Holy Spirit in mission. And he's been talking about this big picture 
scale of how God has been working in redemptive history to restore and redeem people to himself and the role the Holy Spirit plays in that. And, and so as we've been looking at that kind of big picture, we've been seeing how the Holy Spirit is that mission, on mission in the world and we too have been commissioned in the world. Or as he's talked about, he talked about me, this idea of sentness, which was a word he made up probably, right? Okay? So this idea of sentness or the commissioning of God, that through the Holy Spirit, he's commissioned us to accomplish, to be his hands and his feet, to accomplish God's work in the world. And so we've been kind of looking at it, you know, uh, big picture, large scale, and this morning, kind of want to narrow it a little bit and specifically look specifically at this idea of the Holy Spirit and truth and how the Holy Spirit works with the Word of God to reveal truth to us. So as you've seen these, in these passages, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He's the helper, the paraclete, the advocate, and the guide for our life. So as the Spirit of truth, He will reveal um, this truth to us. I want to just kind of transition real quick and, and, and talk about um, ideas of related to this idea of knowledge or truth, that the Holy Spirit reveals truth, that he reveals um, knowledge about God. And actually in that passage in John, it says that he, um, the Holy Spirit will lead us into the truth. Okay? Um, it's interesting, this idea of truth. Like, is, is there truth? Can we know truth? How do we know truth? In philosophy... Um, there's three major disciplines of philosophy. One is metaphysics, you have epistemology, and then ethics. And then logic is kind of a, a, a part or a discipline that applies to all of those. And so this idea, the second branch of philosophy, epistemology, it's basically the, the study of knowledge. Episteme is, is, is actually a Greek word for, for knowledge. And epistemology is the study of knowledge and how we know what we know. Does that make sense? So it talks about the limits of knowledge, um, what, what, what we can know, how can we know things about the world, about ourselves, etc. And after the Enlightenment, I just want to kind of talk about some categories. After the Enlightenment, Hume and others, um, basically one side, one spectrum, um, this idea of naturalism, that all, we can, that all that exists is the natural world, through that developed an epistemology based on empiricism. Or the idea that all that we can know about truth or about the world or about anything is what we can know through our senses. Taste, touch, feel, sight, hearing, right? That's all that you can know about the world. That's, the, the knowledge is very limited to just that. And through uh, rational thought and through ex- scientific method and experimentation and observation, you can discern certain truth or knowledge about the world, but that's it, Okay. On another side, another kind of spectrum, maybe way over, over here, you have um, in kind of uh, more Eastern views of knowledge and truth or um, kind of a New Age thought, you have the idea that you're trying to seek this like hidden knowledge or secret knowledge. Um, it talks about, you know, sometimes they, they talk about this idea of you got to learn higher consciousness and uh, achieving this higher state of knowledge of yourself and realize that you are in fact divine, and, and, and so there's all these, you know, there's a lot of superstition and, and kind of mystery, right? Some of the occult is caught up in that, or esoteric thought is like this idea of seeking hidden knowledge, um, and, you know, they have secret societies and all this, all this other stuff, and it's like if you can, can find this um, secret knowledge, secret information, then you will arrive at where you need to be, or salvation can be found through that. But as Christians, we don't really subscribe to either of those. As Christians, we believe in an epistemology through revelation, 
Yeah? Amen? Does that make sense? That God has revealed himself to man through God's word, through the scripture. And as God has revealed himself, he has made truth about himself, about who we are, about the cosmos, about creation. He has made himself known to us, and he has revealed this to us. And this is significant. We have, we have to grasp that or understand that because um, there's a lot of, like I said, different ideas out there. And people buy into these different ideas. And we can't, you know, in, in Colossians, Paul says, don't be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which are based on the principles of man rather than on Christ. And so as Christians, as followers of Jesus, it's important that we understand how God has revealed himself to us in Scripture and, and through his word. Um, I'm going to read one more um, passage really quick. In Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, Paul says this. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of, of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which, is, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it, is now known, um, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the, of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul is talking about this idea that through the Holy Spirit, the mystery of God, the gospel, and this idea that the Jews have been, or the Gentiles have been grafted in with the chosen people of God, this mystery has been made known to you. It's been revealed to you. He talks about it in Colossians as well, that this mystery has been made claim, or been made clear to us. And so, um, as Christians, we believe that God has revealed himself, and he's revealed himself primarily through his word. But like we talked about earlier from that John passage, the truth of God and these spiritual realities, are we can't grasp them. In the natural man, by ourselves, we can't understand them. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is it illuminates the revealed word of God to, through, through the Spirit living in us to our minds so that we can accurately understand truth and we can understand the revealed will of God um, through the, the word of God. Does that make sense? Did you receive that? So earlier I was talking about the Holy Spirit being a gift, this incredible gift that's been given to us. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is it reveals and helps us understand and comprehend the Word of God so that we can accurately form a worldview that is based in truth and based in reality. Yeah? Uh, but Christianity isn't alone. Christianity isn't the only world, or worldview that believes in revealed truth. There's others, right? Um, you have over here uh, with like a group like Islam uh, that believes in revealed truth. It's the idea that uh, they have the, the Quran, which means recitations, the belief that Allah, through uh, the angel Jabril or Gabriel, gave Muhammad these recitations to reveal the, the truth of God. Okay? Um, on this side or somewhere else, you have like uh, an LDS, or, or Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormon theology, the idea that Jesus came and appeared to people in the Americas or elsewhere and revealed truth to them, and that, you know, uh, Joseph Smith found these, these writings and this revelation and, and so on. And so other groups have made claims to revelation that God has revealed himself. But Christianity is unique or it's distinct, I should say, from a lot of these, these other um, claims or other ideas. 
For example, over here, it's the idea that God has revealed himself through these recitations, through the Quran, and it was given to a man, Muhammad, who was illiterate. He couldn't read or write, and yet he gave these recitations, which is this beautiful poetry. And they'll say something like, try to write anything in Arabic, which I'm, I kind of fall short there, but try to write anything you know, that compares to the Quran. And somebody will, let's say a poet, will write something, they'll be like, no, it doesn't compare to the Quran. The Quran's better, right? But that's somewhat subjective. It's just, it's a, it's a comparison. But it's this idea because Muhammad was illiterate and he received these, gave these recitations and said these things that it's clearly a divine or it's from God. And so then Islam teaches things about Jesus and who Jesus is and says a lot about Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves, where are we going to trust or what's going to be authoritative for our understanding of who God is and who Jesus is? Over here, again, like I said, it's these subjective ideas about whether this is you know, divinely inspired because of how good of poetry and how well-written it is. On this side over here, um, I was shared last, uh, last service that uh, early this week, I wasn't, you know, didn't anticipate this, but I was planning to share some of this uh, material. And um, on Wednesday, there were two gals from Utah who are here serving their Mormon mission in San Luis Obispo that came and knocked on the door. And so we ended up talking for like an hour and a half. And it was a really nice conversation. And they were very friendly. And we, you know, I tried to just demonstrate to them that I understood Mormon uh, theology and thought and so on, and we were just talking. And, um, and then it came down to, you know, understanding truth and what we know about Jesus and their claims about who Jesus is and w- what he is like and so on and, and what uh, uh, Orthodox or traditional Christianity believes about who Jesus is. And a big part of it came down to this idea of how do we know what is true? How do we trust whether something is true? And for in Mormonism, they'll say something like, well, read the Book of Mormon and pray and ask God if it's true. And if you're sincere, he will reveal it to you through like a burning in your bosom, and he'll reveal to you that the Book of Mormon is from God and that Joseph Smith is a true prophet. You guys have heard that or had a conversation like that with more people? So here's two different kind of ways of thinking or understanding re- revelation. But as Christians, that's not how we see it or understand it. For a Christian, we recognize that our, the revealed Word of God is rooted in historical events and facts related to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That it's this historical evidence that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead, and that it's that's trustworthy that these disciples, these authors of the New Testament, were eyewitnesses of those events, and they give us an accurate record or account of who Jesus is. Uh, when they put together, the, in, in the canonization of Scripture, they chose the documents that were the earliest written by the, the most trustworthy or eyewitnesses or acquaintances of eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Does that make sense? So we believe in revelation based in historical evidence or facts related to the resurrection of Jesus, which, you know, that, that asks the question, well, did that really happen? You, you could look into that a lot. And for me, you know, I, I'm convinced that it's true that Jesus did rise from the dead. And so I trust the witness or the account of these disciples, and we trust the word of God. And as we read it and as we consume it, the Holy Spirit illuminates it or brings um, accurate understanding to our life. Okay, does that make sense? So I just wanted to make that comparison as we think about truth and knowledge and how God has revealed himself. And there's a lot more that could be, could be said to that. Um, by way of, t- uh, of testimony, just in my life, um, when I was 16, 17 years old, I, was on a, I went on a snowboarding trip. Okay, Before that, kind of like freshman, sophomore year of high school, I really cared about just a few things. It was like, okay, I cared if I was um, popular at my school, if I was doing good at my sport, maybe like if girls liked me, and food. You know, or something. Like, that was about, that was about it. That's like what I, I, that was like, consumed my thoughts. And I believed in God, but it was kind of like, okay, God's going to help me to accomplish my goals in life and stuff like that. 
in my sophomore year, I was on this snowboarding trip with my brothers. Um, I had two younger brothers. I think I shared that earlier. And, and I was there, and a bunch of my friends as well. And my dad was driving ahead of us, and we were following them. We snowboarded all day. We were really tired. And so we're coming home. And as I'm following my dad, I started to get tired. And um, I admit this now. It took a while. I was in denial a little bit. But I, I started to get tired, and basically I started to fall asleep. And my brother Micah, he was in the back seat, and he had changed his clothes and took it off his seatbelt and kind of was laying down on the bench seat of his van. My brother Landon was in the seat next to me. And as we're driving, um, you know, I, I kind of start to doze off, and I hit the bumps on the side of the road. You know those bumps? It's like... You know? So I hit those bumps, and my brother Landon, he like yells. He screams. He's like, you know, Luke. And that kind of like startled me, or maybe woke me up. And I, and I kind of like start to swerve a little bit, and I went off the road, and as I turned back on, you know, the car was kind of swerving, and I started to brake. And as I broke, the, the car started to fishtail, and it hit the hill on the side of the road. And as it hit the hill, the car started to roll. Three times. The guy behind us later said that we cleared a four-foot bush on the side of the hill. Okay? So we're, like, rolling in this van, and then all of a sudden we, like, come to a stop, and we, like, you know, landed it on the wheels. I've been doing, like, snowboard tricks all day and stuff, but this wasn't, like, supposed to be in that category. You know, we, like, kind of, like, landed and, and then my first thought, I'll never forget that, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I really hope my dad doesn't notice. <laughs> no joke, that's what I thought. I remember getting, getting out of the car, that joke worked, that's good, uh, and I remember getting out of the car and I like looked back and every tire was popped, all the windows were broken, the car was, the van was like shattered, actually I think I have a, an image of it, that was the car. And that's what I saw. And so my next thought was, oh man, he, you know, he's, just, he's definitely going to notice, right? But at least he's just, it's so bad, he's just going to be glad that we're alive. And then I thought to myself, like, am I alive? You know, like, am I having an out-of-body experience? And then I look, I look at the car, and I'm like, what the? And then, my, and then it, like, fear come over me. I was like, oh, my brother's alive. And I, I ran back to the car, and I opened up the side door, you know, on the side. And there's, like, dust. There was, like, gummy bear worms and, like, snowboard boots everywhere. I mean, it was, like, crazy. And then I, I opened the side door, and all this smoke dust is, like, coming out. And my brother Micah, he, like, threw the, the smoke. He's like, man, Luke, what'd you do that for, you know? <laughs> and he, I was like, like, I did it on purpose. I'm like, well, you know, I'm sorry. And we, like, pull him out of the car, and he's got blood on his arms. So we, like, wipe the, the blood. I was like, oh, man, he's going to, like, lose his arm, you know? I'm just imagining my brother without an arm, like, from here on out. And then we, like, wipe it away, and it was just a paper cut. It was nothing. Long story short, me and my two brothers were in this crazy accident, and none of us were really injured at all. Um, my brother Michael, we went to the chiropractor later, and he was like, could move his head to like here, and he could go like all the way around this way, you know? <laughs> so he had that, but he's okay now, you know, everything worked out. But we were okay. But I tell you that story because through that circumstance, through that accident, it started to make me ask important questions about life. What is the purpose of life? Is there a God? Can I know God? What is truth? I have these friends that have these other beliefs and, and follow other worldviews and religions. Like, how do I know which one is right or true? Kind of got to a place where I was like, I don't really care anymore what like, I think or what my, even a pastor says, like, I want to know what's true. And through that, uh, I was a follower of Jesus, but I started to take my faith more seriously. And the Holy Spirit began to, one, convict me of sin because there was compromise in my life. And so like that passage talks about, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I started to be convicted of things in my life, and God started to um, refine my life in, in areas of my life. But also, I started to get, um, develop more of a desire to know God and to be involved in ministry and so on. And my senior year of high school, 
uh, you know, I'm kind of going on. My sister had for a while led like a Bible study at our high, at our high school, kind of like what we do with FCA clubs now, but it was a Christian club at the school. And my senior year, she was gone and stuff, and the club was kind of struggling. And some students kind of came up who were trying to help lead it, and they're like, hey, Luke, will you help with the, the club? Will you, like, be a leader and stuff? And I was like, ah, eh, no, like, I'm a little too cool for that. I'm not sure. You know, I was like, had all these, like, thoughts. And they're like, come on, please. And, and they were, like, doing some stuff. And I was like, ah, it can be done better. And I was like, okay, I'll help out. And so I, like, agreed to kind of be a leader. I, I, I viewed myself as, like, an advisor, you know, to the club, help them. Well, Anyways, I started, like, helping out as a leader. And then one day they're like, hey, will you teach? Will you, like, teach the Bible for the group and lead the, the, the lesson? And I was like, uh, okay, sure. And so I just, like, found a um, Francis Chan sermon that I had heard at Hume Lake that summer or something. And I copied, like, the notes and what he said. And I just kind of shared it. And it was, it was good. It was good stuff. And so I just shared the message to the, the kids. And, uh, and then afterwards, somebody came up, one of my peers, and he was like, man, thanks for what you shared. Like, that really encouraged me. It really spoke to me. And I was like, oh, cool. I appreciate that, you know, affirmation. And then it was like, hey, will you teach again next week? And I was like, oh, man, I see what's happening here. You know, like, sucking me into this. Um, but, but I said, okay, sure. And as I was preparing for that second message, I, read, I was reading in James, and I read a passage in James, which says, not many should presume to be teachers. Right? You familiar with that? Because you will be judged more strictly, or you will have to give an account of your life or what you say. And then I was like, oh, shoot. Like, what did I get myself into? You know, like, I'm going to be, like, judged by God. Like, what if I say something wrong? I don't know that much about the, the Bible that well. And through that, the Holy Spirit began to motivate me to study the Bible. And I began to read, and I began to study, and I became so fascinated, and I wanted to understand these different books of the Bible and how it was put together and how the prophecies worked and, and, and start to memorize some passages. And I also was still motivated to want to know, like, well, wh- what do other people believe and understand what other worldviews were? And if I wasn't going to follow another belief system, why? I didn't want to just reject it out of real knowledge of what they believed. And so I started to study uh, worldviews and world religions and, and kind of apologetic stuff. And, and so through that experience, God started to reveal, through the Spirit of God acting in my life, he started to reveal God's word to me. And it became alive. The Bible tell, or it tells us that the Bible is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing bone and marrow, right? And so God's word became alive to me. And the Spirit who was living inside of me started to, to reveal and illuminate Scripture in my life. It started to shift and change my life. Like, I don't want to say this, but I'll just be honest. My freshman year of high school, I got like a 2.4 GPA, you know? My senior year of high school, when I started to really study the Bible and stuff, I ended up getting, graduating with like a 4.2 GPA. That's good to flip those numbers, you know, in school, right? Yeah, shaking your head. Yeah, that's good. And, and so, but really, I don't even remember like studying that much in school my senior year. I just remember studying the Bible and being so fascinated and interested. And, and God just started to, to reveal these things to me. And so I just, I share that with you as a testimonial way because God, I believe that God wants to reveal himself to us. He's made himself known through us, to us through his word. And the Holy Spirit who lives in us is the spirit of truth and he will reveal the truth of God to us. Kind of as we, we wrap it up and kind of get ready to close, um, it's important to, to emphasize that the spirit of truth, it's not just about information. It's not just about sound doctrine or right doctrine. I mentioned this at the beginning of the last service. You know, we've been doing this long series on the Holy Spirit, which has been awesome. But sometimes there's a little bit of risk when you spend a lot of time and attention focused on just one person of the Trinity. Does that make sense? Because whenever you're talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Godhead, Whenever you talk, think about the Trinity, if you ever lower one person of the Trinity too much, 
right? Or elevate one person in the Trinity to, to an in, inaccurate place, that's a little bit risky. That's, that's kind of where you get heresy, right? So we have to be careful when we talk about God and when we talk about the Trinity. Uh, if, we, if we lower him too much and say, well, Jesus was just kind of the first created being, and then through him everything else was created, and maybe he's kind of like the archangel My, uh, uh, Michael, and you, know, you have a group of college students, post-college, that are hanging out and studying theology from the book of Revelation, and a guy named Charles Taze Russell, and before you know it, you have like a new religion. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, the Jehovah's Witness movement, right? And so when you start to you know, overemphasize or de-emphasize parts of the Trinity, it can be risky. And sometimes in the body of Christ today, when we speak of the Holy Spirit, as Brian's talked about, there's abuses of the Holy Spirit. We just emphasis only on the Holy Spirit and neglecting the Father or the Son and, and some of these manifestations of the Spirit, and it can be abused. And so it's important as we study the Bible and as we study who God is and we study who the Holy Spirit is, that we keep it in balance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's one of the things I love about that starting passage as we kind of, kind of bring it full circle, that passage that we started in, in John um, 16. Sorry, right here. Where he says, I, have, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see this incredibly beautiful relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit in this passage. Where the Father gives to the Son, right? And then the Son takes what is his and and gives it to the Holy Spirit who will reveal it to us. And all of that with the purpose of glorifying the Father and the Son. You see that? See how they're intertwined? And so, you know, as we go through and kind of continue in this series, it's so important that we see the role the Holy Spirit plays as one person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. So, but, but back to that point that it's not just about information. It's not just about knowledge. Yes, we want to have sound doctrine. It matters. It's really important. But it's not just about us knowing the right information. It's about how, as God illuminates the Word of God, the truth of God in our life, that we then apply that information the way that God wants and intends for us in the way that we live our life. Amen? Does that, does that make sense? And so we have to think about this gift of the Holy Spirit who reveals the Word of God to us, that He does so so that we can honor God with our life, that we can construct and orient our life in a way that pleases and glorifies God, that brings Him glory, that brings good in the world, that makes a difference in the lives of others so that we can be on mission with God and fulfill the Great Commission as we seek to be a witness of God in the world. And so, kind of just to conclude or kind of wrap it up, the question is that I've been asking myself and that I ask with you is, how is the Holy Spirit guiding you? How is the Holy Spirit leading your life? Are you following? Are you attentive to the Holy Spirit's leading as he reveals the truth of God to be applied correctly in your life? Are you still or quiet enough to hear his voice? Do we turn off social media enough to not have so much noise and, and buzziness and kind of cool, funny, viral videos that we like to watch going on that we can hear, is it only me? No? Okay. That, that we can hear the voice of God and that we can accurately apply it in our life. Because the reality is the Bible also talks about how we can stifle the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. In other words, we can, we can bind the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life. He's still in us. He still dwells within us, but he doesn't have full control 
an influence and, and um, leading over our life. And so the question again, is the Holy Spirit guiding you? How is he guiding you? Are you mindful of these things? Um, I hope so. And hopefully all of us can be reminded and challenged of some of these things that you may know very well and have known for a long time. But we can be reminded that, yes, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth who leads and guides us into all truth. So, kind of in conclusion, truth is found in God. God has revealed himself through Scripture by inspiring the authors of his word. Scripture is understood and applied correctly only under the guiding and illuminating influence of the Spirit of truth or the Holy Spirit. Amen? So that's kind of what I got. I'm going to kind of close for us in prayer. I hope you guys are encouraged and challenged this morning. And as we kind of conclude, so I've finished here with this idea that the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us that can be applied in our life. And next week, Gunther is actually going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and good works. And we'll go into more depth about how the Holy Spirit can lead and guide us and how we live our life. Uh, These guys come up. Let me pray, and we'll wrap it up for this morning. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time we've had together. Thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit who, can lead, who leads and guides our life to honor and glorify you, Lord, as we are submitted um, to his leading and guiding in our life. Jesus, you, again, are, are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. We thank you for what you have done to redeem us to yourself. Um, we submit to you today and just ask God that you be glorified in every th- area of our life. In your name, amen. Thank you, guys. <laughs>